you know, you guys probably heard this morning, the cases are getting worse here in New South Wales. And so can I just ask you very strongly to let's, let's do everything we can to follow the rules. Let's do everything we can to stay safe. Let's really look out for our brothers and sisters, our own family members. And let's do everything, let's do everything that we can possible to just love each other and to care for each other, to reach out to them, you know, through the internet, through the telephone in ways you know, where we're not physically together, but we can support each other and love each other. And with that said, you know, just like Sarah said, um, you know, if you're struggling at all, and quite honestly, I've talked to a few people even this week who are struggling mentally, who are struggling emotionally, please call. You know, if you're not struggling, please call your CG members. Just, you know, out of, it doesn't matter if it's out of the blue, call them and just ask them. Ask them like three, four times if they're okay. Even if they say yes, they're okay, ask them again, you know, because... You know, we just want our church to be a church that cares for each other. And I want to be a pastor that cares for our members, too. So please call me. Feel free to call me, message me. The phone number was a little bit incorrect. My last, the last digit of my phone number is five. You know, so if you message and you don't get through, please, you know, get, you know correct it and get through. And uh, we just want to make sure that everyone in our ministry is cared for, prayed for. And if you're struggling, let's struggle together. There's no reason to go through it alone. So please reach out. Okay, please. Um, if you noticed, uh, the, the title kind of changed. I, I decided to change the title from New Life with Christ, our New Life with Christ, to Christ's Fullness in the Home. And last week was actually part two, or part one, and today is part two. So let's tackle this sermon together. Colossians chapter 3, 20 to 21. Let's read the text together. Verse 20. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not embitter your children, or they will become discouraged. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your sovereignty. We know that no matter what happens in the world, whether there's a pandemic or not, you are in full control. And God, we thank you that the seat of our peace can rest in your hands. And that you love us and you care for us. And God, that you are in full control of everything that's going on. So Lord, we trust in you. As difficult as things become, Lord, we trust in you. And we just want to love you with all of our heart, soul, mind, and being. So Lord, we pray that you give us that heart. You give us your peace that transcends all understanding. Lord, guard our hearts. Guard our minds in Christ Jesus that we might truly just love you and find our hope and our peace and our love in you alone. God, use this time, this lockdown period, to bring many to gaze their eyes upon you alone and to find their hope and peace in you alone. Thank you, God, so much. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You know, uh, we're continuing our journey, through, our journey through Colossians 3. And as we've been going through Colossians 3, we're learning about our new life with Christ. And last week we talked about what that life looks like through the relationship between husband and wife. And today we're going to see what that life looks like through the relationship between a parent and their child. Now, if you grew up in an Asian household, my guess is that you have seen this particular relationship between a parent and child abused many Many, many times. And the reason why is because a lot of Asian households, they're actually driven by Confucian principles. And, you know, the greatest of which is this particular one, where Confucius says that the child is the extension 
of the parent, right? The child is the extension of the parent. The child is the extension of the parent in every way until death. And that's pretty huge, isn't it? Who that child is, their behavior, their character, their attitudes, you know, how well they behave or perform in public in the measure of their success are all reflections of the parent in every way until death. Isn't that interesting? That's, that, that's what Asians would believe, but that's exactly what was written. Therefore, as long as the child lives in complete obedience to the parent and faithfully, truly lives out all of their parents' wishes and desires and dreams, not only will there be harmony in the home, but there'll be harmony in society, right? And so this confusion, uh, Confucian ideology has permeated so many Asian cultures, and that's why parents are so passionate that their children live in complete obedience. That's why they demand it. That's why our parents get so embarrassed when we don't perform well or when we disobey and show rebelliousness in public. It's there's so much more at stake than just simple disobedient to parents. Disobedience actually destroys the fabric, not only of the home, but of society itself. That's huge, isn't it? And the, and the moment I learned about this Confucian ideology, it helped me understand my parents a lot better. And that's my wish for you. And that's why I'm sharing it today. I just want you to understand your parents better, especially if you come from an Asian household. But what you need to know is that Confucius falls very short because according to scripture, children are not an extension of their parents. They are not subordinates of their parents, but children are equal, are equals in every single way, equal in dignity, equal in worth, equal in value. And children have been redeemed as equals in God's eyes. But just like marriage, there is hierarchy in the home. Parents have been given the responsibility to raise their kids in the Lord and children have been given the responsibility to obey and follow their leadership. This is God's design. And it's that hierarchy in the home is that's where God chooses to make us holy, right? That's the arena for making us holy in the home. And we'll get into all that very soon, but I really wanted to share about that Asian background as we begin so that you could help understand that so it can help you understand your parents and not to judge them please don't go home please don't like walk up to your parents and say hey man i learned something new today at church you know you're messed up with these confucian principles and don't please don't talk like that don't rebuke your parents for for all that stuff they'll have no idea what you're talking about okay so please don't do that but we share that with you so that you can now be gracious and have an understanding towards your parents and learn how to love them better so please do that Okay, please take on that information so that you can love your parents better. The question is, will my parents ever change from that? Will they ever like, will they ever change from their Confucian ideology into a more biblical ideology? And I say, I don't see why they can't. It'll take a lot of time, but you know what it really takes? It takes the obedience on our part as children, people within that family following God's design, as well as a lot of prayer because we need the power of God to change people. People don't change easily, but I believe it's possible. So that's what we need to talk about today. You know, our passage in, in Colossians 3, 20, 21, it's been abused so much. 
within the church. Verse 20, how many times have parents and even pastors abused this verse? You know, we've like over overemphasized it. We've abused it so much. Not only that, but verse 21, it's been largely forgotten. Right. And so, you know, let's recapture what these verses really mean today. But the fact in this and this is how I want to start. The fact that both parties are being addressed right from the start, children and parents. What does that say? It tells us that both parents and children need discipline. Right. Love requires discipline. And as parents discipline children to become more holy, God disciplines our parents to become more holy. The relationship between par- child and parent is a relationship that God uses to make everybody in that household more holy. So with that in mind, let's get to our verses today. There are only two verses. So once again, there are only two points. The first point is this. Children, obey your parents. That's it. Verse 20. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Now, unlike that command to submit, the word obey Uh, is not voluntary. It's a lot more absolute, isn't it? But once again, that word obey, it's pretty multifaceted. So let's go through what this word obey means a little bit. The word obey is actually two words put together, listen and under. So if we can restate what this is saying, it's saying, listen under the authority of your parents and then do it. Okay, that's what it's commanding us to do. And unfortunately, it's not just this external command to physically obey and to just or physically listen and then physically obey, but it's actually a call for heart obedience as well, just like the 10 commandments. Scripture is calling for a child's heart obedience to their parents. Did you guys know that the heart behind the Ten Commandments, where it commands children to, oh, to honor your parents, to honor your father and mother, what that really is saying is that we are called as children to care for our father and mother through obedience and support. So to obey really is giving ourselves fully to the commands of our parents with the heart to build them in the Lord, with the heart so that they would get closer to God. But then God doubles down on this command to obey them when he says to obey them in everything, right? So the question that we all have when we hear stuff like that is, do we really have to obey our our parents in everything? And the answer is yes. That's exactly what it says, you know? I don't know why we question things like that when it's so black and white clear. But the reality is we can obey, we must obey our parents in everything unless it is sinful, okay? Because sin will not build anybody in the Lord whatsoever. The end of this verse goes on to tell us that the main reason why we are to obey our parents in everything is because this is what pleases The Lord, and I hope that's all of our motive as children, if we are still living with our parents, you know, that our motive would be, I just want to please God. And if this is what God tells us we need to do, and this is what makes him happy, then let's do that. And that's the heart uh, behind the command. But there's also another layer of why we need to do that. A lot of translators, a lot of uh, theologians have translated that last part of this verse as, for this is pleasing in the Lord. And the difference is very simple. The difference is the first one pleases God, simply. It just pleases him. But the second one is saying that we're acknowledging, what it's saying is that we acknowledge that this is God's design. 
And therefore, God has given us this role as children to obey our parents in everything. And when we choose to live out our God-given roles for his pleasure, because that's his design, that's what pleases him. So if we put all that together, as, as children, we choose to obey our parents in everything because we acknowledge that this is our God-given role in his design for family, which makes the family holy. And therefore, when we obey and live that out, it pleases him and makes him happy. And hopefully that is our ultimate motive for obeying our parents, right? Especially when that obedience becomes difficult or very unpleasant, which it does so often. You know, but the big question that we're asking then, because we're, some of us are really feeling the pressure right now, uh, the big question is, well, until what age, Eddie, am I supposed to obey my parents, right? And that's the big question that everybody wants to ask, especially in a young adult, adult ministry like ours. Is it till death? And here we go. Here's the real answer. The, the real answer is the Bible does not explicitly say. But every theologian and every book that I've read according, uh, on this particular passage says that it's very clear that God is addressing households and children who live in that household. And so therefore, their conclusion is as long as you're living under the same roof, under their authority, and you're supported by your parents, you are required to obey your parents in everything. Oh my gosh. But that's, that's what it is, right? But once you are no longer living with them and you are living alone and you're supporting yourself and you're living independently, you are no longer bound by this particular command. Do you get that? You know, I think there's a great temptation in our day and age that, you know, we want to put an age restriction on things like this, but I don't find a scriptural basis for that. So I don't want to teach you that. You know, uh, I haven't really read anything that kind of hints at that. So if you're like 40 years old and you're still living with your parents, then what a great opportunity you have to continue to build your household in the Lord. And so that's what we really want to do. That's what the goal and that's what the design is behind parents and children within one house. So let's continue to do that together. You know, with that said, what I, want, what I really want to say is this. Whether you live at home with your parents or not, if you truly understand God's heart and God's design behind the household, that it's to make us mutually holy, it's to build us and to draw us closer to God together, then why wouldn't we want to honor our parents until we die? Right? Just because you move out of your household, that's, that doesn't take away the command to honor your parents, not obey your parents, but honor your parents, to support them, to love them, to encourage them and to challenge them and to build them to become closer to the Lord. I believe we should. And the reason why I say this is because I really want everyone to understand the heart behind this particular command for children to obey their parents and everything for this pleases the Lord. You know, personally, I didn't understand the heart of a parent until I became a parent myself 10 years ago. And the moment I became a parent, all of a sudden, you started to realize that, wow, things are a little bit different on the other side, you know? You know, when you're, when you're single or when you're a child, you just want to, you're constantly fighting for your independence you're, and all that kind of stuff. But the moment you become a parent, you know, my kid's 10 years old, and, and I don't know, maybe every parent feels like this, but I would love to live with my kids until I die, even if they're 40 or 50. Maybe I'll change my mind when they're 20 or 30 and they're still living with me. You know, maybe they'll look pathetic then, but I don't know. But until then, who knows? But I think every 
parent has that kind of heart, what am I trying to say? What I'm trying to say is no matter how old your parents get, I think it's very difficult to change the way they look at you. You will always be their child. You will always be their precious possession. And so as a child, giving your heart to your parents in obedience, I think is the most powerful way that you can point them to God. You know, and I think that's why God puts that here. There are so many children, I think, who read these verses and who misunderstand the heart of these verses and say things like, you know, hey, man, I'm 18 years old. Australia declares me an adult. Therefore, I don't have to obey you anymore, mom and dad. But I think people who are like that, you just totally misunderstand the heart of what God's saying and the heart behind the whole design. And that's to build each other and to encourage other and to motivate each other and to inspire each other to seek after the Lord together. Love believes that the other party is greater. Just like Philippians 2 says, that's how Jesus Christ viewed us. That's what humility says. Love operates with the other person's benefit in mind. Therefore, love does not seek to assert its own rights, but love seeks to build each other in the Lord. And when we practice that towards our parents, I believe it positions them to know and experience God through us so much more powerfully. So children who live in the same household as your parents, obey them, love them, pray for them, and build them in the Lord. And if you're on the older side and you live with your parents, you know, once again, what a great opportunity it is not to assert your independence but to even dig in deeply, more deeply, to reveal the true love of God that he has for your parents. And you can model that for them through your unconditional love and obedience. Right? Tough teaching, especially if you're on the older side. I totally get it. Right? But I truly believe this is how God will transform families to become more holy. I want to end this section with like three suggestions. Number one, love your parents. Your history with them might have been imperfect. Maybe it's not the prettiest. And honestly, apart from the most radical of situations, it's also no excuse not to love them today. Okay. Reconcile with them. Learn to love them unconditionally and seek to build them with compassion, humility, gentleness, kindness, and patience. Pray that they will grow in Christ through you and then continue to obey them in everything. I really believe this is the best way to invite the presence and the approval of God into our households. You know, I grew up in a very difficult home where, you know, I was always very rebellious against my parents. And, you know, uh, it was a very challenging home to grow up in. And it wasn't until I was like 29 years old where I really bought in to what God was saying and the way God described families to be. And so, you know, it was, it was at 29 years old that I'd said, okay, you want to know something? I'm just going to surrender to God's design. And as I obeyed, my relationship with my parents completely transformed many, many years later. And it's still amazing today. And I think the reason why is simply because when you live out God's design, it gives your family a chance. You know, I'm not saying it's going to work for every family. I'm not, maybe that's not even the goal. But what I am saying is, how else is your family going to become holy and centered upon Christ unless at least one person in that, you know, family is fighting 
to make that happen, right? So we need to do that as children. Why? Because this is what Jesus did for us, and this is what he continues to do for us. Love your parents in that way. Number two, grow yourself to be a blessing in your family, right? Grow yourself to be a blessing. I don't know if you've ever thought about that as a child, that you were called to be a blessing to your parents, but I want you to start thinking like that. You know, don't seek to assert your independence, but seek to become a blessing. And here's one reason why, because though um, this is not only what you need to do now for your current family, but this is excellent practice for your future family. You know, I always tell my single people that when you date somebody, a great indication of what kind of spouses that they're going to be is just look at their relationship with their parents. How they treat their parents is a great indication of how they're going to treat you when you guys get married later on. Is it a hard, fast rule? No, and there are exceptions. But in general, I think it's kind of true. And so, you know, the way you treat the most difficult members in your life and in your family right now is a great indication of how you're going to treat your spouse in the future. But so practice being a blessing to the people who are most difficult in your life right now. Learn to love them unconditionally. Practice giving your heart to them and building them and see God work through that and learn how to become an amazing spouse for tomorrow. You know, seek to be a blessing. Grow yourself to be a blessing. Number three, obey your parents as worship to the Lord. We don't obey our parents in everything because they're worthy to be obeyed. Just like a wife does not submit to a husband because he's worthy to be respected or, or a husband loving his wife because that wife is worthy to be loved. We don't obey God's word based upon the worthiness of the recipient, but we obey God's word based on the worthiness of Christ and the guy who wrote these words, which is God right? And so we do all these, we obey God's word ultimately as a worship to the Lord. And we trust that through that worship, the presence and the power of God will work through us to build our family members in the Lord, our parents in the Lord. As children, we want to please God, but I hope you also want to see God work powerfully in your family as well. So do your part then and obey your parents in everything. Number two, Parents, do not embitter or discourage your children. Verse 21, fathers, do not embitter your children or they will become discouraged. Now, first, it's interesting that only fathers are being addressed in this particular passage. But it makes perfect sense because back in Paul's day 2,000 years ago, fathers are the ones who had authority and responsibility over their children in that culture. Now, what's really messed up is that culture 2,000 years ago, there were laws that specifically state that fathers could sell their children or even imprison their children if they wanted to. By law, a father could kill his own child without a trial. You know, that's how messed up that society was because it had no value upon children. Children were just property, you know, and they were valued as property. They weren't even humans at the time. So a verse like this, not only is it immensely gracious, but is absolutely revolutionary, right? It's commanding a father to elevate the value of his own children and to truly love them, not as property, but as people, 
That's absolutely revolutionary for this culture 2,000 years ago. But most importantly, it's calling parents to value children, not as society sees children, but as God sees his own children, right? Which leads us to a principle that's of utmost importance to Christian parents, and that's this. If you are a Christian parent, then you need to be convinced that your child is not your child. Your child is God's child, right? And God has given you a child. God doesn't give you children so that you can raise him or her up whichever way you wish or according to what you think is best. But God gives us children. He entrusts us, or he entrusts us with children. They're not gifts because gifts mean that they're ours. God entrusts us with children for one purpose alone and for one reason alone, and that is to raise him or her up in the Lord. This is our duty to God as parents. And we have to see parenthood in that way. It is God entrusting us with souls so that we can raise them to truly be God-fearing, like God's mission-accomplishing people in the future. To say it simply, God gave you children so that you could produce devoted disciples for Jesus Christ. What does that mean? What does that look like? Well, it means that through the culture and the values that you decide to establish within your family, these children get to experience Christ and the gospel so powerfully that not only do they fall in love with Jesus because of you and the culture and the values that you set up in your home, but they now grow up with this vision for how they can be used to powerfully spread the gospel of Jesus Christ in this world and to build the kingdom for his glory. This is our responsibility as Christian parents, right? This is the goal of child rearing. God gives us children so that we can make disciples of Jesus Christ. Now, if we're honest, most of us who've been raised, you know, in this country, you know, we've been raised to be successful and comfortable. I think the bottom, that's the bottom line, right? Our parents raised us to be successful and comfortable. And maybe we did some Jesus church stuff on the side. But the main goal for us was that our parents raised us to be successful and comfortable. I don't know. I've heard it 10 million times. I still hear it today. In a nutshell, what did your parents tell us to do? You know, get a good education so you can graduate well from a good university degree, so you can get a great job, so you can meet a great spouse, you can buy a great house, buy great possessions, meet, you know, and then have some great children and live great, right? That was it. That's all I've ever been taught by my parents. Is that bad? Is that wrong? And the answer is no, not necessarily. That's what our parents thought was best for us. But the question is, is that biblical? If Jesus was standing here right next to us raising the kids, raising our kids, is that what he would tell us to do? I don't think so, right? I don't think that's what he would tell us. Is it wrong to send your kids to good schools or for them to marry good people or to buy good houses? No, none of that stuff is wrong. All that stuff is good, but none of that stuff is primary. You know, our kids should be growing up. If they were to leave our family after 18 years old or whenever they decide to go, 
Hopefully they leave not with this mentality of, oh, my parents raised me so that I could be a good kid and to live with good morals and to just get a good job and to be comfortable and successful. If that's what they get, if that's what they walk away with, then I don't know, maybe we failed. But if they walk away totally in love with Jesus, with this vision and this passion to want to use their life to expand the kingdom and to make Jesus great in this world, if that's what they leave our families with, then maybe we succeeded, you know? And that's why God gives us children so that we can instill how awesome God is and the beauty and the worthiness of Christ to follow and to give our lives completely for. Let's take a look at Deuteronomy 6 together, right? Now, if you don't know Deuteronomy 6, this is one of the most famous passages in all of Scripture, not only the Old Testament, but all of Scripture. It even has its own title. It's called the Great Shema. Shema is the Hebrew word for listen. And the reason why it's so significant is because Moses is summarizing to the Israelites as they enter the promised land. He's summarizing what truly, what God truly values most. So it's very tight and it's very simple. Let's read what it says. Deuteronomy 6, 4 to 7 says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. These commandments that I give to you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Let's look at these verses together. Verse 4, what is this huge thing? He's saying there is only one God. So fear him alone, verse 4, right? Verse 5 and 6, it's the greatest commandment, isn't it? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. But what does he say in verse 6? These are heart commands. And what God wants is heart obedience. But then all of a sudden, these two huge commands are followed by verse 7. He goes straight. What does he do in verse 7? He goes straight to the family. Why? Because our calling as parents is to pass down a godly heritage to our children. Fearing God and loving God is what is to define our homes and who we are as Christian parents. So as post-resurrection people, we fast forward many thousands of years, what that now means for us is that our calling is to now produce fully mature disciples of Christ for his service and for his glory. This is why God gives us children. Do you guys understand this? Please understand this. Raise your children with that vision, with that heart, driven by that in mind. Don't just have kids, but produce godly disciples for Christ. With that in mind, let's get back to these verses in Colossians. You know, this verse, verse 21, is actually addressing the approach that parents take to raising their children. Why did I say parents instead of fathers? Eddie doesn't say fathers. It's, you know, it says fathers, not parents. But let me, here we go. Here's, here's how we transition into the parents. And this is why both father and mother are addressed. Since the object of this verse is the love of the child, Therefore, those raising the children and those responsible for the lives of those children in Paul's day are being addressed. And if that's the case, then it's appropriate in our day and age 
to address both parents because both parents in our day and age are not only raising those children, but they're responsible for those children. So the command, let's look at the command. The command is not to embitter your children lest they become discouraged, which means that parents are not to adopt attitudes and actions that provoke their children to become bitter, discouraged, or rebellious, right? It, to be more clear, it's describing the belittling of children, you know, through means like nagging or uh, perpetual fault-finding or even putting them down or calling them names. Have any of you ever experienced that from your parents? You know, thank God, Asian parents are nothing like that, right? But they are, they're, they're, they're the worst. You know, that's how we grow up, that's, that's what they promote. But anyway, anyone who comes from a first generation culture, it doesn't matter what race you are, if you're a first generation immigrant, most likely you came from a tough household where parents raised us in a tough way like that. But that's why we as God's people, as Christian parents, we need to be different, right? We need to raise and create environments in our houses that be, so that they become environments where people can become holy and worship Christ together. We can never let the culture of our homes be environments that dishearten our children from wanting to follow us and especially wanting to follow God. And so if we can say this command positively, it really is a command to create environments that continually wins our children to the majesty and the beauty and the worthiness of Christ. Isn't that what it is? And the $10,000 question then is, Eddie, how do we do that? And there's the answer. The answer is the answer to that question is outside the scope of this particular sermon. However, there is one issue that we can talk about because this verse actually addresses it. And the issue that we can talk about is the issue of discipline. Okay, Discipline is absolutely necessary for love, holiness, and worship to occur in the household. Let's look at a longer passage, Hebrews 12, verses 5 to 11. It says this. It says, My son... Do not make light of the Lord's discipline and do not lose heart when he rebukes you because the Lord's discipline, the Lord disciplines the one he loves and he chastens everyone he accepts as a son. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as his children. For what children are not disciplined by their father? If you are not disciplined and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are not legitimate, not true sons and daughters at all. Moreover, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the father of spirits and live? They disciplined us for a little while as they thought best. But God disciplines us for our good in order that we may share in his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. I just want to highlight a few verses for you. Verse 6, it says, the Lord disciplines those he loves. He punishes those he loves as his children. What is that saying? Discipline is the proof of love. Verse 8, if you are not disciplined, you are not true sons and daughters. What is it saying? Discipline is the proof of of true sonship, right? Proves that you're a true daughter of God. Verse 10, God disciplines us for our good that we may share in his holiness, which means that discipline is the method 
of producing holiness in us. Verse 11, no discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful later on. However, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who've been trained by it. What is that saying? Discipline produces holiness, right? Love requires discipline. Therefore, to be a godly parent requires us to discipline our children. To become holy requires discipline. So discipline must be a characteristic of our godly home. That's exactly what it's saying. But what is discipline? I googled this one, just to be clear. The dictionary says that it is the practice of training people to obey rules or a code of behavior using punishment to correct disobedience. So it's a training process so that we can become like something or to follow something, in our case, Christ, using punishment as correction. And I believe, you know, discipline can take two forms. There's things like reactionary discipline and there's things like, pro, uh, things like proactive discipline. I think both are necessary. But I believe that biblical discipline calls parents to be a lot more proactive in our approach to discipline. But how do we do that and what does that look like? I think it's two things, two very major ways. And uh, there's a lot of verses that back this up. I'm going to take out the verses just to save time. But here are the two ways. Number one, teaching. You know, parents must clearly be able to explain to their children what holiness is and what God requires of his people. That's simple. And we should be able to explain why. Right? It's not just, here's what God says, but we need to explain to our children why. That requires that parents spend time with their children discussing Scripture. That's huge. That's essential. You need to spend time with your children discussing Scripture together. You need to spend time with your kids sharing what God is doing in your life and your relationship with God to your children. And you need to teach them not only what God's expectations of them are as his people, but what that looks like within their lives, right? That takes a lot of work, doesn't it? But that's our calling as parents. But when parents do that clearly for our kids, I believe it sets our children up for success, to be holy in the Lord. And what it does is that it gives us a much more objective basis for determining the punishments or the consequences of disobedience to those expectations. Do you guys get that? So teaching is crucial. We need to spend time with our children teaching them that. Secondly, modeling, right? Modeling. Um, the true power of discipline comes from modeling our expectations of our kids within our own lives as parents. You know, church, children can learn about who Christ is. Anyone can be taught about what holiness is and what God expects of us on paper, you know, or through a discussion. But most children learn best, by example. You know, most children are not mature enough to take a teaching or a principle and then be able to apply it in every area of their life towards holiness. You know, even adults, we fail to do that so often, don't we? It's so difficult. But children copy really easily. We mimic and we copy very, very easily. Not only that, but we adopt our parents' values very, very easily. And believe it or not, that's exactly how we were created to grow, right? That's what discipleship is all 
about. And that's how discipleship is supposed to work. Therefore, parents must be intentional in the way they model holiness to their children. Hopefully, what you expect of your kids, you're an exemplary figure that they can just look up to and learn that from, and therefore they can copy themselves. And that is tough, isn't it? It's much easier to be a, you know, a reactionary parent. It's so much easier just to, like, whenever we see our kids messing up, just to yell at them and just to put our kids down, to make them feel small. It's so, e- so much easier just to assert our authority over them and to tell them what things they need to correct so that they don't embarrass us or so they make us feel better about ourselves. But isn't that what verse 21 is telling us not to do? It is. That's exactly what we aren't supposed to do as parents. We must be parents who nourish the hearts of our children so they hunger for Christ through their relationship with us. Because the other way will discourage them from wanting to follow us and follow Christ. Therefore, we disobeyed verse 21. And so how do we do that? We do that through our love of God's truth as parents. We do that through our love of following after Christ and modeling his holiness in us. We do that through love that is tough for our kids and love that just wants to model who Jesus is in our families. It's such a high calling to be a parent. It is a huge and ridiculous responsibility to be a parent. So if I can say this, this is so rude, but I'm just going to say it. So please just don't have kids unless... You're committed to raise them to be holy. Unless you want them to truly follow after Jesus. Please, let's raise families that are holy, that just want to make Christ great, right? This is what we need. I don't mean to end my sermon with a negative list, but unfortunately, our verse is a little bit negative, isn't it? Verse 21 is a little bit negative. And so I've listed five common ways that parents discipline their kids that result in the disheartening of children. These are five examples that you are not to do as parents that maybe we've seen very commonly in our lives. Number one, I mentioned it already, but when discipline is full of nagging, perpetual fault-finding, name-calling, putting down, you know, that will break our children. Here's the question. Does God ever nag us? Right? Does God ever, is, is he on this mission to constantly find things that are wrong with us within our lives? And then when he does, does he put us down? Does he embarrass us? Does he, does he belittle us? And the answer is no. God would never even think about doing that. So then why would we ever do that to our kids? Don't do that. Number two, another way we embitter our children is by being bitter at home. There are so many parents who are always complaining who are just bitter and tired and grouchy and absolutely negative. Can we stop that, please? Okay, please stop all that. And the reason why is ultimately because God is never like that with you. You don't ever go to prayer and he's like frustrated and angry and he has no time for you, right? Whenever we go to prayer, how is God towards us? Right? He welcomes us into his throne room. Isn't that correct? He not only forgives our sins, he forgets. You know, his banner over us is love. You know, that's who God is. His mercies are new every single day for us, every single morning. That's how God treats us every single time we come to him. And that's exactly what your children should experience every single time they come to you. Our children should experience us as a new joy, a fresh joy, a fresh grace, 
uh, a refreshing, if I can just say that, every single time they come to this. Why? Because God is like that towards us. Right? How do you do that as parents? You know, Eddie, I'm just not like that. My life is so tough. How do I do that? And here we go. This is our responsibility as parents. We need to learn to recenter ourselves in the gospel every single day. We need to learn to experience that grace from God himself. And when we understand that on an experiential level every single day, that's when we can give it to our children. And if that takes 10 times a day for us to do that, then do it 10 times a day. Because we have a responsibility as parents to raise our kids in the Lord. Do you understand? It's a huge responsibility to be a parent. Number three, some parents are overly harsh and over strict, right? I believe in being harsh. I believe in being strict. But what I'm talking about here is people who are overly harsh and overly strict. People who just yell at their kids for every single reason. And just asserting authority everywhere. I, you know, I, I see it sometimes. And in all honesty, whenever I see parents are like this, and I know I'm not supposed to judge, but my conclusion is I just think they're lazy. Okay, I'm just gonna say it. I'm gonna call them a name. Sorry. I just think they're lazy. Instead of taking the time, like God would, to train our children to grow in the Lord to build them up, to discuss with them godly principles and the things that you want to see in them and how and coming up with strategies and how they can grow together to be like that, to guide them and to build them in holiness according to their particular maturity. I think being overly harsh and over strict is just their way of shutting their kids up so that these parents can get whatever they want and do whatever they want to do without an annoyance, you know? But they're doing that instead of what the Lord has required of them to do, right? Sorry for being so passionate, but I just love kids, you know? God would never treat us like that. God as our father would never treat us like that. You know, so why would we ever treat our kids like that? If he did, I would stop following God. And guess what's going to happen to our kids if we do that to our kids? They're going to stop not only following you, but they're not going to follow God either, right? So let's stop continuing to be parents like that. Fourth, the, the exact opposite, some parents are just way too lenient. This is just as destructive, if not more destructive. This actually might be much more destructive than point three. They let their kids get away with whatever they wish. And as a result, they produce tyrants, right? These little kids who are just absolute tyrants. Most children's ministry teachers know exactly what I'm talking about, sorry. You know, but that's true. There's all these tyrants running around. There was a conversation that was published just a few decades ago between two great theologians who were, who were commenting and discussing the way Americans, uh, these were German theologians, and they were discussing how Americans seem to be raising their kids and how these Americans just let their kids do whatever they want to do. And so uh, this is how they describe these parents who raise, their, who raise disobedient, tyrannical children. And the phrase that they used to describe this type of parenting was injustice to the children. But why is it injustice to the children? It's because they recognize that true love with discipline prepares their children for the difficulties of life, right? And young tyrants who believe that they're the center of the world will find it much difficult later on in life when they realize that the rest of the world don't believe that they're the center. And that's it, right? Discipline trains them to deal with the difficulties in life in a healthy way now. And here's, here's the biblical view. God would never let you get away with sinning repeatedly. God would never, ever let you be the king 
over your own life. That's how we got into the, since the sinful trouble in the first place. That's actually the definition of sin, right? That's the heart behind sin. It leads to a sin and a self-centered perspective of, a wor- of the world instead of what? A Christ-driven, gospel-driven perspective of the world. Why would we produce home environments that produce the best of sinners? It makes no sense. So parents, please, do not be lenient with your kids, okay? Don't let them rule you. Do not let them rule your household. Be a godly parent. Number five, lastly, we dishearten our children by not being there. There is no substitute for just spending quality time with your kids regularly. And when you do spend time with your kids, please don't think about anything else Be fully there with your kids. Every single time we go to pray to God, God is always fully there with us, for us. Let's always be fully there for our kids. The bottom line is, as a parent, deeply consider how God treats you as his child and mimic that parenting to your children as well. Model what God does for you, the grace that he shows you, the discipline that he places upon your life, and the directions that he leads you towards with your own children. In other words, model the gospel and the character of Christ to your children and create an atmosphere in your home and a culture in your home that encourages and empowers everybody in your family to engage Christ through you. Okay? Parents. To be a child is a wonderfully holy calling. To be a parent is a beautiful, holy responsibility. God is equipping us with this heavenly picture of the home, isn't he? Husband, wife, parents, children. We are not only to be blessings to each other, but we are all called to build each other to be holy in the Lord. My heart for our generation, and the reason why I get so passionate about this stuff is because I just want to see holy families in our generation. I want to see families just absolutely in love with Jesus. Father, mother, wife, husband, you know, child. I don't don't care. I just want to see families truly worship God together. And I believe our generation can be exactly that. So let's work feverishly because it takes a lot of work. Let's work feverishly to live out the gospel so that every member of our family can know Christ, enjoy Christ, and worship Christ with their lives because of you. Let's pray. I know I talked long, but here's the bottom line. Children, if you live in your home, will you love your parents unconditionally? Will you pray for them? Will you take on this identity as a blessing? And will you ask God today, God, how can I bless my parents? And, will, and let that lead you to repentance. Love your parents. Build them. Model holiness to them so that they can grow and love God more through you. Parents, build your kids in the Lord. We have such a heavy responsibility as parents. There is no greater influence for God than you to your children. Let's be passionate followers of Christ ourselves. And let's learn to talk to our kids and to raise them to fear God and love God and to see the beauty and the majesty and the worthiness of Christ through our example. 
Let's pray. member of the house. You do. Parent, grandparent, child. Father, we pray fundamentally change the way we look at our families. That we look at these places as centers of worship for your worthiness. And God, as a result, help us to be blessings to each other. Give the children in, in our ministry the courage to trust in you and to love you so much that they'll obey their parents and to build them in the Lord. Love them, pray for them, inspire their parents to follow after Jesus. God, give parents the courage to grow in Christ so much and to love Christ so much that all they'll want to do is to pass that on to their kids. Help us never to skirt our responsibility, this amazing, wonderful, beautiful, holy responsibility to raise godly families and to pass on a godly heritage. And Father, we pray that you'll build those types of families within FLM so that the families that come out of this ministry and this church will be families that truly fear you and love you and follow you. We thank you, God, for all this. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.